This activity is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Oyster Point. This content was captured during a synchronous virtual symposium. Polling took place during the symposium. Hi, everybody. Dr. Laura Perryman in Seattle, Washington. And this is a fun topic. So yeah, I am so lucky to be joined by two Canadians. This is like, you know, North American Alliance here. This is awesome. Uh, Dr. Jessica Steen, who is an associate professor at uh, Nova Southeastern University College of Optometry in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Dr. Mila Brujic, he's partner at Premier Vision Group in Bowling Green, Ohio. I'm so lucky that we're here all together. This is awesome. Veroniclin nasal spray, uh, its trade name is Tervaya. And it's very interesting because it has a nicotinic acetylcholine agonist receptor activity. It actually stimulates the trigeminal nerve. Remember from the definition of dry eye disease, one of the aspects of the definition of, is neurosensory compromise. So neural stimulation in the form of veronica nasal spray or mechanical extranasal stimulation is a way of stimulating that neural pathway that generates a physiologically complete tear. The first foray into this arena was a true tear. I don't know, um, both, you, both of my colleagues here, I'm sure they remember the days of true tear. The device works great. It was just a tough uh, business model um, for, for patients and for docs, but um, it, the device worked fantastically. And this is just another crack at that nut of getting the neurosensory component uh, orchestrated, if you will. And what I really appreciate about this modality is there's a lot of situations where the front line of the homeostatic control mechanism, the corneal nerves are damaged in some way, whether it's chronic inflammation, diabetes, glaucoma medications, um, you know, surgery, right? Contact lens overwear, all of these things can damage the corneal nerves ability to sense the quality of the tears and respond appropriately. Well, you can get through the back door and adjust the uh, physiologically complete tear using neural stimulation. So it, it has all kinds of interesting clinical applicability. But let's take a look at the different uh, clinical trials here. So onset two efficacy that compared with placebo and two different doses of the veroniclin nasal spray. And they both showed very highly statistically significant improvements in the uh, tear production. Let me go back. Here we go. Um, in tear production in these patients, but also eye dryness scores improved dramatically, statistically significantly in the onset two study. Um, what's really interesting is it worked in the mild, moderate, and severe dry patients, or like, it's kind of like salsa, mild, medium, or macho. How, how much heat do we have here, right? So it seemed to work in all those patients, uh, despite their level of severity. This plot line shows the odds ratio for the medication being of benefit uh, when it comes to um, eye dryness scores. So I find that very interesting. They also did some um, sub-analyses showing that it also works in postmenopausal women. To Mila's point earlier, how dry disease does disproportionately affect women. Um, so I found, I found that very interesting as well. And that was presented at um, ASCRS in 2022. In the phase three safety study, anytime you put something up your nose, what can you expect? A sneeze, right? That's to be expected. And it was fairly similar across um, 
the two different doses of medication and lower in the placebo group. Uh, coughing was part of it, comparable between the two dosing, throat installation down the back of the throat, and irritation at the installation site was higher in the two drug groups than the placebo group, but uh, the effects were similar between the two different dosing with the exception of installation site irritation was significantly lower in the 0.6 milligrams per ml, and that's the concentration they came to market with. <clears throat> so the it was demonstrated to be safe and tolerated at the 0.6 and 1.2 level, and the most common adverse events, as you would predict, would be sneezing, coughing, and throat irritation. So what's so interesting about this is uh, we're going to talk about another neurosensory modality, and that's the ITIR-100. We had the pleasure of being a phase three clinical trial site for this modality as well. And it uses a vibration signal. I have a little device in my hand so you can see what it looks like. It's smaller than a deck of cards, has a little activation button and a wheel here, and it's rechargeable. Um, once you have the device, it is uh, Bluetooth subscription renewable every 30 days. Um, and there's no limit to the times you can use it, which is very interesting. So it uses vibration alongside the nose to stimulate the trigeminal nerve and get that physiologically complete tear. We were also able to observe mybum being um, produced out of the terminal ductules under video slit lamp biomicroscopy, which was very cool under neural stimulation. So um, I would say that this type of uh, patient, anyone who would uh, appreciate this medication would be someone that um, has a lot of brain and stinging with a nasal spray or is reluctant to add on a pharmaceutical agent and prefers an alternative modality, such as um, an energy-based device as an alternative to a pharmacologic agent. So I find that to be very helpful in these situations um, to have that option and it's on demand. You're not limited to just twice a day. You can use it on demand. So if you're traveling, you can use a little more often. So it does have some flexibility in the dosing schedule. The Schirmer scores, it was very interesting. We saw this um, very consistent uh, stimulated tier level across multiple patients, multiple time points, multiple observations. What was interesting is the baseline tier production improved over time. So the delta between the stimulated tier and the baseline tier prior to stimulation, that narrowed as we went along the study uh, time points. Um, and people had a, a, a better baseline tier uh, tier production um, over, over the course of the study. <clears throat> the OSDI scores uh, did improve as early as day 14, and they stayed improved out to six months with jump time points. Adverse events, low incidence of adverse events, um, intermittent nose soreness, uh, slight headache, sneezing in one, one patient, um, lightheadedness, dizziness, um, Styes develop in the context of dry disease, probably unrelated to the device, but something we still have to report. Itching, sensitivity, um, headache, but again, a low incidence of um, adverse events in, in the trials. Laura? Yes. just came through. Um, we know that Varenicline is twice a day. Do you remember in the clinical trials how frequently they use the ITIR 100 per day? Yes. In the clinical trials, it was twice a day, 30 seconds per side. In the phase four experience, we tailor it to the severity of the dry eye and um, um, the duration we also base on the severity. So I'll prescribe it anywhere from two to four times a day 
for 30 to 60 seconds per side, depending on the clinical severity. And there was another question, um, is, can you use the device too much in a day? Um, that's a great question. We asked, and they saw this in the, um, the true tier experience as well, that uh, patients did use it sometimes more often than what was uh, recommended, but there didn't seem to be an excess, if you will. The duration of effect seemed to be such that patients didn't feel like they had to use it constantly. So we, we actually didn't see overuse in, in the clinical research studies and in the phase four experience, I haven't seen overuse either. Great question. Um, here's something really interesting to, to think about. Drug delivery, how do you get a great medication to the scene of the crime to address inflammation, to address other problems with ocular surface disease? Well, one thing you can do is enhance delivery systems. And that's what Isuvis did with lodopredinol in creating a suspension. If you wrap it in a um, mucoadhesive micelle, you're able to get through the layers of the tear film, get through the mucus um, net that protects the epithelium of the conjunctiva. And those little holes in the mucin net are where the tiny little micelles can get through and actually get into the deeper layers of the cornea. So you still get this uh, medication effect at lower C for concentrations, more effectively getting the medication to where the problem is. So it was studied uh, up to two weeks to manage the signs and symptoms of dry eye disease in a nanoparticle formation to get through that that mucus net that's a protective net across the epithelium to get to uh, tissues, concentration tissues um, in the cornea. Multiple studies tried one, two, and three. And the most common adverse reaction in the clinical trials was installation site pain at a low percentage of 5%, which is quite encouraging. So I reach for this medication a lot. If I have a patient with flare-ups, if I have a patient who has a high inflammation load, MMP9 testing, we do that a lot. I use that as my signal. If it's really strongly positive, it's like, mm. I need to do more than just one thing to get this under control. So I'll often use it in those situations as well. But I find it very helpful for those flare situations with dry eye. So what they were able to show is that uh, compared to baseline by day eight, there was statistically significant improvements in the ocular discomfort scores with all three studies, highly statistically significant. And you can see from the graph that uh, by day eight, uh, significant lowering, and that trend continued out to day 15. This is another graph showing the likelihood of benefit of the medication. And in the different studies you see across study one, two, three, and four, that the um, uh, baseline compared to day 15 strongly favors the intervention with Isuvis. This is on um, conjunctival hyperemia. Okay, there we go. Let's talk about another form of really cool, smart drug delivery, and that's cyclosporin. Cyclosporin is like Jack Spratt's wife. It does not like anything but fat, okay? So it hates water. It's like it's like a cat. It does not like water. So you have to do something special to cyclosporin to get it to the scene of the crime. And here's what they did. They put that water-hating awesome immunomodulatory molecule inside a nanomicelle. And the effect of that is, again, 
drug delivery. So you get this fabulous, you know, we have, let's see, it first came out in the 1950s, cyclosporin as a use for immunomodulation and preventing uh, organ transplant rejection in kidney patients. And now we use it at super low concentrations on the eye to address chronic inflammation associated with dry eye disease. So by putting it in this nice little package, you're able to achieve higher concentrations in the cornea. When you compare cyclosporin emulsion, that's another way to get a water-hating molecule to the scene of the crime is to put it in an emulsion versus this nanomicellular solution. Uh, same concentrations, 0.05%. You get 3x higher concentration in the cornea and conjunctiva. That's really important, especially if you're a patient where they just need more help to get that inflammation load under control. Um, same uh, label indication as um, cyclosporin emulsion, as you would expect, but really interesting drug delivery, which is a bonus for eye care clinicians. So for me, I would prescribe this for a patient who's you know, insurance demands, they try and fail one thing over another, and they're not getting the relief that they expect, would definitely use this medication. There are occasions where I want it as a first-line therapy. I don't want to have to try and fail other things. So this um, does have a rhyme and reason for its clinical use. And then, of course, there's always effect and tolerability. Um, very reassuring to see that tear production, 10 millimeter or more increase, a nice robust 17% by day 84. And that was consistent across the, the two different uh, phase three FDA studies. And they were statistically significant. The main side effects that you need to warn your patient about are pain upon installation. That was reported at a level of 22%. And pain was very loosely defined. Any kind of discomfort was considered pain upon installation. The vast majority of those were characterized as mild to moderate. There was a very small percentage that were considered severe. Eyelid redness, uh, cyclosporin is a little, you know, it does have some irritancy potential. So 6% uh, conjunctival redness, that's about to be expected. Other uh, effects were blepharitis, eye irritation, headache, and a UTI. It's an eye drop. I don't know where that came from. So I'm, maybe there was a mix-up. I'm, I'm joking, but we have to report everything that happens during these FDA trials. Okay, the new kid on the block. One of the new kids on the block. It's such a good year to be a dry patient. We have all these amazing new tools. Perfluorohexyl octane. It's a mouthful, but if you slow down and say it, you'll be just as good at saying it as my best friend from medical school, Stella Desyatnikova. You just have to slow down and sound it out and you'll be fine right? So you just slow down and sound it out. So it was, um, uh, it's now called Mibo. And you'll notice that the spelling's a little funny. You're used to spelling Mibomian gland with an EI. Uh, Sir Henrik von Mibom, the German ophthalmologist described this in the 1800s. And this is the I before E to treat DED is how I remember it. <laughs> so make sure you put it that way in your turn. It's an interesting, unique molecule. It is a semi-fluorinated alkane. What is an alkane? It's not an aqueous solution. It's not an oil. It's not a ketone. It's not, it is an alkane, which is its own class of molecules. It's saturated, which means it's completely non-reactive, right? And it's indicated for the signs and symptoms of dry disease associated with MGD because 100% of the patients in the clinical research studies had MGD. They also had keratitis. 
So it's the first and only FDA-approved treatment for dry disease that directly targets tear evaporation. The molecule is small. It reduces the surface tension, sort of like Raynex for the windshield of your car, right? Um, and it uh, forms this monolayer at the air-tear interface. The molecule has a fluorinated end and a non-fluorinated end. The fluorinated end loves air and always orients itself upright. It reminds me of those um, weeble wobbles when you're a kid. You know, you could try to knock them down and they just write themselves right away. Blink, my wobble, shoot, it goes right back to straight up and down. That's what this molecule does. So it or reorients itself perfectly every time um, because of the, of the uh, fluorine, fluorinated end of that molecule. We've got different clinical studies I'll share with you. So for me, the type of patient I prescribe this for is someone who has a significant evaporative load to their ocular surface disease. This is a way for me to reduce friction, to stabilize uh, tear film, reduce the evaporative load, and provide some comfort by reducing friction in these patients. It's dosed QID. So here's some data from the clinical research studies. Um, I love it that they named it after deserts for a drive study. I just think that's so clever, right? I, I've always wanted that job where you like come up with the names for paint colors and for like perfumes. And I also think I would really enjoy coming up with names for clinical research studies. So I think this is clever <laughs> that it's named after deserts. Gobi and Mojave, really consistent results between the two different studies, highly statistically significant reductions by day 57 in total corneal fluorescein staining, as well as eye dryness scores. And for those that are new to clinical research, we have lots of ways of assessing patient symptoms. Speed scores, OSDI scores, um, visual analog scores or VAS, eye dryness scores, and they're all done a little bit differently, but the VAS score is interesting because it's on a scale of zero to 100, and it's literally a 10 centimeter long line. And you ask the patient, how is your comfort? And they'll literally put an X. You literally take out a ruler and you measure. It's like, oh, that's 68. So that's a level 68 out of 100. And they're able to show um, significant reductions in the VAS scores in these patients at day 57, but is also at uh, day 15. So here it is looking at the total corneal fluorescein staining, statistically significant by day 15, day 30, uh, day 57 across Gobi and Mojave, all statistically significant. Uh, let's see, uh, adverse events, we got to talk about that. Uh, very well tolerated, very low incidence of adverse events. Blurred vision was the main one in Gobi. We didn't see it in Mojave. When you pull those two together, it's the average of 2.1% uh, incidence of blur. Very few patients experience non-ocular adverse events. Remember, this is a very inert molecule and none of the non-ocular adverse events were associated with the treatment medication. Um, so I think this is very low side effect protocol, very excellent safety profile that's very encouraging and exciting for our patients.